Well, good morning again. Welcome to everyone here in person and those that are watching online. We're so glad that you're with us today. Uh, we have the joy and privilege of gathering together, and I, I, I try to say that each week. It is a joy and privilege to gather together, to sing and to pray and to hear the Word. There's nothing like this that you get to do in the course of your week. The podcast that you listen to in your ear your earbuds or whatever, it's, it's good, it's encouraging, but there's something unique about what we're doing right now, and we get to share in that together. And so let's keep that in mind. This is a joy and a privilege to do. Another joy and privilege that we get to share in is the sort of community that we foster and build together. And I wanted to highlight, uh, before we jump into our passage and our sermon this morning, in a couple of Saturdays on October 30th, uh, we have a marriage and family dessert night. Uh, from that Saturday, October 30th, from 7 to 8.30. And so if you're interested in that, that encouragement for your marriage and in your, your family, uh, if you're interested in that, uh, please reach out to the McKays uh, or see me and we can, I can funnel you in the right way, the RSVP, and get situated so we are prepared for a great night of encouraging each other, encouraging our marriages and our homes. And so again, that's Saturday, October 30th. From 7 to 8.30. Awesome. All right. Also awesome, Revelation. So let's jump in our Bibles uh, to the very last book of the Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read verses 4 through 8. And our focus is the never going to give you up grace and peace from the king. We will get into that in a moment. I may have put a song in your head last week. I may do that again this week. But Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Let's hear God's word as we're still sort of inching our way into uh, this incredible letter that I hope will be a timely encouragement for us all. So we hear the words, um, starting with verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes on earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God, as we come to your word, we pray that our hearts would be tenderized by it that you would do a good work in us, bringing us a timely encouragement as we set our hearts under your word. So be with us in the preaching of it, that we'd hear it, receive it, believe it, and trust it. O oh God, we ask to your glory and to our good. In Jesus, our King, his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt so physically, emotionally, and spiritually spent that the next thing that it would hit you would just crumple you into a heap of despair? 
that the things happening in and around you are so overwhelming and difficult that you're fogged in, unable to see clearly? That the strength to keep on is firmly buried below the E? I know those feels. They are real. And for so many in, in our day and age, those feels are ever increasing. We need hope. We need help. We need something. And Revelation doesn't wait around to give it to us. Here it is in just a few words. Grace to you and peace. Hope and help. Grace to you and peace. Because God has grace and peace for us, you and I who follow Him, who, who trust Him in faith in Christ, we, we are able to keep holding on even in the midst of the kinds of things that wear us out. That we can keep holding on. That makes Revelation very relevant for us. It's a very relevant letter to our lives right now. It's not, as we said last week, it's not just so about the future that it has no bearing on our right now. In fact, it's very much for our right nows. And our right nows are that we, we need help and hope. We need grace and peace right now. And Revelation is saying, you have it right now. It's relevant for us. And as I said last week, Revelation, while confusing at times, is not a puzzle to solve, but a picture to behold of a king who supplies all that we need. My hope this morning is that as we still sort of wade our way into this letter, we're still kind of getting a feel of what this is going to be like and what it's going to be about. My hope is that you and I are encouraged right now with the reality that the reigning, ruling, and one day returning king has grace and peace for us right now. For our lives right now. It's relevant. Something I hope to say throughout the entire series to reinforce in our heads and our hearts, this is relevant. And that relevance is that grace and peace mean some things. We're going to look at it in two ways. First is we're going to see the meaning of grace and peace. These are words at the beginning of a letter, and you might find those words at the beginning of other letters in the New Testament, and you kind of just move on into the stuff. Well, the stuff is right there, too. Grace and peace matter. We'll get into that. The meaning of grace and peace. And then from that, the bulk of the passage that we read, we see the means of grace and peace. And both of those things are going to show us and, and hopefully help us see how relevant grace and peace are for us right now. The meaning of grace and peace and the means of grace and peace. So let's dig in first. The meaning of grace and peace. And here it is. You and I who trust Christ for salvation, we have the power and presence of God in our lives. What does grace and peace mean? It means we have the power and presence of God in our lives. Grace and peace are not platitudes from the Bible. 
They're not empty plastic expressions that don't mean anything. They're just serving a letter along. You know, the kinds of uh, formal things that you do when you write a letter. No, they actually carry with them great weight in application and meaning for our lives. In fact, it's the, they're not the equivalent of thoughts and prayers. You know that? That sort of plastic, shallow little thing that gets said on social media when something terrible does happen. And maybe our thoughts and prayers really are with them, but they ring a little shallow or hollow. It's not the Bible equivalent of thoughts and prayers. Grace and peace mean a great deal. It means, first of all, grace, the grace to persevere. Look again at verse 4, just to get our bearings. We have... John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Grace to you. This means something. And in the context of Revelation, it's a, an encouragement and a call to not give up, not, not bail, to keep holding on and keep going on. And God is giving you the grace, his power at work in your life to keep going on. To keep holding on. The circumstances around us are going to challenge our stamina. If you haven't felt that, you will. In John's day, the apostle writing to the church from the Alcatraz-like Patmos. He's writing to a church that's experiencing some very hard things. The early church faced increasing, intensified opposition and persecution. It was becoming more challenging to be a Christian and to gather as the church. And the turmoil around them taxed the energy to keep clinging to Jesus and making much of the gospel because it was costly. Physically costly. Emotionally costly. Spiritually, costly. Relationally, costly. Now, our day is filled with different kinds of struggles and opposition and uncertainties. But the experience of life where evil is real is still a hard experience. We still face struggles and opposition and uncertainties. And it's hard And it's wearying. And you and I, we need an immediate and constant reminder that God has grace for us, grace to persevere, to keep on, keeping on. We need something outside of us, greater than the circumstances around us, to give to us what we could never manufacture on our own. In short, we need grace. God's grace, His power at work in us. You're not going to find that power within you in the sense that you possess it and you just got to unlock it. No. You and I need something outside of us given to us. Something that we cannot earn, thereby making it only possible by grace. And guess what God has? Immeasurable amounts of grace. Grace. We so need grace to persevere. Grace to you, John says. And he says, and peace. 
So get this. We need grace to persevere, to keep on keeping going, 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 holding on, believing and trusting and living in light of who King Jesus is. We need grace to persevere in the midst of a hard situation. The flip side of that, that grace that gives us that drive to keep going is that God gives us peace to rest. Peace to rest. Peace within. The turmoil around us can certainly create turmoil or at least reveal turmoil within us. And we are in desperate need of peace. The kind of peace that draws near. The kind of peace that cares for. Love how one commentator put it. The sort of peace that is the reflection of the smile of God in the heart of the believer. You and I, we live in a, a volatile world. And, and, and believers throughout church history have experienced different kinds of ebbs and flows of rejection. Cultural rejection, familial rejection, personal rejection. We've experienced that rejection, and that rejection can reveal conflict in us. We need peace, the kind of peace that is the reflection of the smile of God in the heart of the believer. It is the peace of knowing God and knowing the nearness of his love and his favor through a reconciled relationship that we've been declared right with him and brought in from from being an orphan into his home that we have this sort of peace i love how it's captured in that classic hymn it is well many of you know this hymn but i love that second verse though satan should buffet though trials should come let this blessed assurance control That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. We live in times, and maybe you feel right now that you have been buffeted in the challenges in this life. Challenges even maybe brought on because you have faith in Christ. And maybe you've experienced a variety of trials. Let this blessed assurance control. God has drawn near to you. And has heaped upon you a redeeming love and favor. And calls you his own. You are a treasured son and a precious daughter. Peace. No more conflict brought on by your sin. You have peace with God. And that peace with God is a peace that you experience within. Even if the world around is chaos. Let's not forget our key. I gave you guys a key last week to help us as we navigate through Revelation. Life is hard. Evil is real. But God is in control. Jesus wins. There is tremendous peace there. So keep holding on. Grace is the power of God at work in you. Peace is the presence of God with you. So friends, rehearse your heart through the reality of God's grace and peace so often that your heart's muscle memory is to run to him for grace and peace. Rehearse this to yourself.
These are not empty words at the beginning of a letter. They mean something. There's nowhere else that you're going to go to get strength and assurance. But to the one who has it in infinite, eternal amounts. That's the meaning of grace and peace. The means of grace and peace are, get this, this is going to be a total huge surprise, unexpected plot twist. The means of grace and peace is God. Surprise! (laughs) It's God. God is the means of grace and peace. And that's what our passage then sort of just jumps into seeing. There are three things that we're going to consider. First is who He is, what He does, and what He will do. And so it's helping us see that the the grace and peace that we are to have and to live in light of is coming from a God, and we need to take a moment to see who this God is. And the first thing that we find is that God is the Trinity. There is the three-in-one mystery, Father, Son, and Spirit. We find that here in verses 4 and 5. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits who are before His throne. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn, of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. Well, first of all, the from him who is and who was and who is to come. For those of you who were with us in our Exodus series, you remember way back when, when we started Exodus, we found that God declared himself to be, I am who I am. And this is sort of a New Testament extrapolation of that. Who is and who was and who is to come. And we see then Jesus described, and we are going to get a lot of description of Jesus here in Revelation, but it's that third one that we should probably take a moment, that curious expression that we find in verse 4. Who in the world and what in the world is the seven spirits weirdness all about? So look again in verse 4. From the seven spirits who are before his throne. So, so this is a good part where we, we, we kind of dip our foot into the, the odd waters of Revelation. So I was, we lived in California for 10 years before we came here, and, and then we put our foot into the North Atlantic water. And, and that was an interesting experience. And for me, it was just a foot that went into that water. But we're going to put our foot into this a little bit right now. What's going on here? What are these seven spirits all about? Well, if you remember last week, seven is a very important number. And, and if you remember, we were saying that Revelation is going to carry with it some very highly symbolic phrases and expressions. And we need to understand those to make sense of them and apply them into our lives. Seven means fullness or completeness. And so there's something about this that's bringing about the full, complete, effective application of all that God purposed and all that the Son accomplished. The other thing about Revelation that we're moving through this book is, as we go through Revelation, we're also going to be drawing in deeply into the Old Testament. Depending on which scholar you ask, there's anywhere between 400 to 1,000 allusions and references to the Old Testament, just in this letter alone. So there's a lot of Old Testament that's gaining greater clarity in Revelation. It may not feel that way at first, but that's what we find happening over the course of this letter. So we're going into the Old Testament, and we know that so much symbolism is going to be at play. So as we keep that in mind, 
That seven means something about it is full and complete and total. And it's referring to the application of what God has purposed and accomplished. And we, and we, we know that it's drawing upon something in the Old Testament. Then we realize it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And Zechariah, which is an Old Testament minor prophet. It's one of the smaller prophets, a bunch of names that you can't ever memorize in the right order. Right? You get, you get to Daniel and then you're done. And then it's like, and the rest of the guys, you know. And then Matthew, woohoo, got it. <laughs> well, he's in there somewhere. And in chapter 4 of Zechariah, we, we see this scene that Zechariah gets to see, which would be very similar to the scene that John is getting to see. And he's putting it into words, and he's referring to seven this and seven that. And he's trying to make sense of it. In verse 6, it gets made clear. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, who was the king at the time. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What I'm doing, what I've done, what I will do is by the spirit. By the spirit. We see it again in Revelation chapter 4, which we'll get to eventually. But in verse 5 of Revelation 4, we see this described, this scene described in the throne room. The throne room of glory of heaven. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Again, seven being important number, complete, total, effective powerful. And understanding this as a work of the Spirit, we see that it is referring to the complete effective work of the Spirit to bring about the application that all that God purposed and all that Jesus has done is being applied in history to fulfill all that God has set out to fulfill. What does that tell us? Well, first of all, it says God is very much in control. Again, back to our key. While the life you live might be hard and the evil around it is real, God is in complete, full, total control. Even when it doesn't feel like anything is in control in your life, rehearse your heart through the truth of who God is. Over it all and in control. He will apply all that he accomplished in Fulfilling all that he purposed. He's in control. Secondly, because this is full and total, God isn't skimping on his grace and peace to us. He's not skimping out. He's not just barely, oh yeah, I forgot about you people down there. Here's a a little help. He is poured out in full measure all that we need to live out our lives Following the king. He has it all for us. That's who he is. That's who he is. Our means of grace and peace in this life are, are found in who God is. And it shows up in what God does. And what do we find? It, there are several things here that, that God does for us in our passage. So let's... Let's read verses 5 and 6. To him 
who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So first thing that we find is what does he do? He rescues us. He rescues us. He he loves us and brought about our rescue. His love for us shows up in us being freed from our sins. Freed from our sins. How did he free us from his sins? Well, whatever he did, he paid for it with his blood. So his blood was the necessary payment to free us from our sins. What does he do in rescuing us? Well, he rescues us from the penalty of our sin. A penalty that you and I could not pay for. He paid for it in full measure with his blood. The life that Jesus lived for us. The death he took on in our place. The display of his victory in his resurrection. All of that frees us from our sin. He rescues us. Not just from our sin, but it's, take that out, tease that out. From the effects of sin, the penalty of sin, the judgment of sin. The nature of His grace, it saves us. And here's the thing, here's the kicker. The grace that saves is the grace that strengthens so that you and I persevere. Persevere. Keep going. Keep going. Secondly, we find there that he renews us. He rescues us and he is renewing and remaking us into something new. His love for us shows up in that he's making us into a kingdom and into priests. This is, again, another moment where it's dipping into the Old Testament, actually reaching all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where, where God's people were in God's place under God's rule, leading that Enterprise into the glory of God. He, he rescues us and, and renews us to be about that work again. To live out our lives for His glory. What kind of assurance does that give us? We've been brought into this special relationship with God. He's rescued us. And he has invited us into this special relationship where we get to live for his glory. And then thirdly, we find that he rules us and, well, everything too. He's the one alone worthy of all glory and dominion. It's all his and he and he alone is worthy. That's what he does. So when we are struggling in the things of our life and we're waning, we need to rehearse our hearts, who God is, but also what he does. Because that reminds us again, no, the grace and peace that we have is sufficient for our moment right now, even though we feel empty and spent. We remind and we rehearse who God is and what he does. And then thirdly, we find that we get a little taste of what he will do. What he will do in verse 7. He returns to make right. Verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. 
This is speaking to a without a doubt, unmistakable, unavoidable return of the king. As he comes with clouds, clouds are always associated with God's glory, either sort of filtering it so we don't melt under it or sort of revealing it. They're, it, they're doing one of those two things. They're say, showing that God is glorious. And so King Jesus returns with glory. It will be unavoidable and unmistakable. And all of Jesus' opponents, all of the opponents of God will mourn out of hopelessness. They will wail out of hopelessness. So the implication for you and I who trust Jesus for salvation is that there will be a great vindication for his rescued people. But you are, in fact, on the winning team. The glory with your king awaits. That's what he will do. You can kind of say that this is revelation as a whole in a very summarized form. This is who God is. This is what he has done. And this is what he will do. And then there at the end, all of a sudden, we get rickrolled by King Jesus. He pops in all of a sudden. First words. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha and the Omega. I, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This overwhelming statement that says, I am complete, full, infinite, eternal. I am everything. I am, I was, and I will be. I am the Almighty. I'm over it all. You do not hang in the balance. I am with you and for you and over you. And even as you feel crushed under circumstances in this life, I will crush those circumstances and we will be in victory together. There's nothing hanging here. He is saying, I will never give you up. I will never let you down. I will never run around and desert you. You chuckle, but he says it here. What he's saying. He's not going to quit. And nothing can dislodge you from his grip. That is before we even get going into this letter. Our hope is fixed on a king over it all. And friends, as we watch our world around us spin in different ways and torque itself in all kinds of twisted up knots, our hope isn't found in gaining political power or cultural influence. Hope is found in King Jesus and living for his glory and doing good and loving mercy and being kind. Our hope is fixed there because the thing that's important that we realize is that political power is always fleeting and cultural, cultural influence is always fickle. But King Jesus is and was and will be. He doesn't change. 
the long burn of the perseverance of our faith is found in the is not found in the fires of political power or cultural influence but rather in the fuel of who our god is and was and will be that's what we have in grace and peace that's what you and i have right now in the grace and peace that we receive from god Grace to persevere, peace to rest. So may that fuel our personal devotion and our public worship and our purposeful witnessing to the King. May we persevere with joy through it all because the God over all gives us grace and peace right now. Let us fix then our focus, our faith on the King who alone is worthy. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would indeed do that. You would help us to see all that you are and all that you have done and all that you will do, all that you have for us, God, that, that we would recalibrate and rehearse to our own hearts these truths so that when we live in a hard world where evil is real, We are reminded yet again that you are in control and that King Jesus wins. That it would give us strength to live in assurance in the midst of conflict. We are yours. You are ours. Nothing can shake that. God, we pray you would press that encouragement all the way down into our hearts. So that as we live out our lives on this street level of life, we would do so with strength and with joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.